Greetings and welcome to Football Never Sleeps, our off-season YouTube football show that focuses on Notre Dame football and keeps going and going and going. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, but leading off with kind of the aftermath of the transfer portal spring period. It's closed now, but there's still activity going on, so we're going to kind of look at the Notre Dame roster and see where they go from here. We'll also take a look at some of the latest with recruiting, some NFL stuff, NFL draft stuff. Lots to talk about today. Um, before I talk about our questions feature, I want to remind you to subscribe and to hit the notification bell so you always know when we have new content because we move around during the week to best reflect when the news is happening. Tonight, we just happen to be on a Thursday. And now to the question part. You can talk right along with us. We'll work you into our conversation if you've got a question that's um, G-rated and worth answering. We'll, we'll work it in. And uh, Tyler will tell you how to do that, give you the quick tutorial, and off we go with the show. Yeah, and feel free to chime in and have discussions with each other. Um, not everything has to be a question for us, but we will certainly pull out the questions that we see that we can answer. And uh, if you don't know how to do that on your desktop, um, if you're using the YouTube site, there should be a chat box to the right-hand side of this, of our talking voices. Um, and then on the, on an app or a mobile device, there will be a chat box below. Um, so make sure you do that. Um, just say, hello. We'd like to, we'd like to know who's in here. Um, we have, we do see familiar faces from time to time. So we appreciate that. And anyone who wants to interact with us and we'll try to fit, in as many questions as we can throughout the show. But first, Eric, let's let's talk about those transfer portal. I mean, the, the transfer portal aftermath, where Notre Dame stands with guys that have left and what may be coming in for Notre Dame. Okay, so let's, let's kind of hit the reset button here. The transfer portal for undergrads closed April 30th, and the transfer portal for graduate students closed May 1st. So nobody new can jump in there unless they're willing to sit out a year. Um, Notre Dame finished kind of that cycle at 82 scholarships. So when you're looking about Notre Dame adding, they could add up to three transfers. Um, so that's, that's where things sit now. Certainly you could have attrition over the summer if somebody needed to take a medical hardship or someone was academically ineligible. None of those things are on the horizon. But um, we do expect Notre Dame to add. Um, and then some other particulars. From the start of the 2022 season, there were 12 scholarship players that transferred and one walk-on. Two others are no longer on the team, but they didn't uh, enter the portal officially. And that's cornerback Philip Riley and kicker Josh Bryan. Uh, there's some medical hardships, too. Safety, Justin Walters. Quarterback, Ron Paulus III. Linebacker, Will Schweitzer. And then one of the incoming transfers, Caleb Smith. There were two Caleb Smiths. This is the tra transfer from West or from Virginia Tech. He took a medical transfer. Um, as far as what's coming in, it's a record five. That's the most Notre Dame has ever taken in one cycle. 
five scholarship players so far, two key walk-on transfers, Aubrey Cole and Ben Krim. They come from the Ivy League. So let's, Tyler, maybe start with what positions make the most sense for Notre Dame to add? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's one that's like the highest of priorities, I think, and that's safety. Um, That's a position that we know they just don't have a lot of depth at. Um, What depth there is um, comes from freshmen who had some injuries this spring. Uh, So I, I think they could use some depth behind their sort of trio of guys that they feel like they know that they can depend on. Um, and we'll see if there's someone that fits the bill there. Wide receiver, I think, is always at least going to be a possibility, especially considering that Caleb Smith didn't work out and that Lorenzo Styles left the program. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity for a receiver. I still think defensive tackle um, would be a possibility. That was something that they had looked at Um in the previous window or after the previous window closed. Um, and I, I, I still wouldn't hundred percent rule out offensive guard. I don't think that's a very high priority. Um, and then obviously quarterback is the one that I think if you could find a fit, it would, it would work, but it just seems like next to impossible to, to figure out like who would possibly want to come to Notre Dame um, knowing that it's going to sit behind Sam Hartman and knowing that it's going to have Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr, um, and Steve Angeli chasing from behind them next season. So uh, I think those are probably the positions. Are there any that I missed? Do you or do you disagree with any of those? I, I don't disagree. I think uh, safety is the obvious one and wide receiver. If you want to build the numbers up for for this year, now again, you've got three committed in the next class. If you take four. And, and Matt Salerno is the only person that's guaranteed to leave after next year, you know, then you're getting up over 10 players. So do you, if you took a younger player, are you counting on attrition from somewhere else? Mm-hmm. I think Chris Tyree's also gone. So, I mean, that gets you nine down to seven. If you add three recruits, that's 10. And then, then you can play with that transfer number. I mean, I think it can make sense. If if you've got somebody that can that's young that can play for you this year and you could build to their potential, or if there's an older player that helps, you know, kind of guide that room. You don't have a lot of leadership in that locker room other than Chris Tyree, who is, you know, is at a new position, so he's learning too. I know Matt Salerno is a six-year senior, but not a guy that's been on the field a lot. So um the quarterback thing is what really intrigues me because I think what what is ideal for Notre Dame doesn't exist. Um, ideally, they would get a grad transfer with two years of eligibility that he could learn behind Sam Hartman and then compete with C.J. Carr, Kenny Minchie, and Steve Angeli in 2024. But the kids that are going into the portal, they want to play now. I mean... Tyler Buckner was that guy, except without grad transfer status. He was a guy that could wait behind Hartman and then be the favorite to start in 2024. And he left for for a school where he might not even be the number two quarterback at the end of that competition. So I just don't, 
I, I would be surprised if they found somebody that fit the profile. I think a rental is dangerous because then you're getting a guy that's not good enough to start somewhere. That, then are you any better off than the two young guys that you have? Right. Um, so I don't know that there's a, there's a natural fit there. There is a big drop between Sam Hartman and, you know, two inexperienced quarterbacks. I think it really comes down to how they feel about Steve Angeli being a functional quarterback in the game. Yeah, I mean, I got asked in the chat about running back today. I don't think that makes sense. I don't I don't think tight end makes sense. I'm not sure, Tyler, given the fact that nobody left on the offensive lineman, if I like them adding to it. I mean, it's not going to cause somebody to leave at this point. But I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure who's out there as an offensive guard. Right. They brought in an All-American one year, and he did start, but he <laughs> certainly didn't look like an All-American here no. in Cade Madden. Um, I, I think the defensive line could could make some sense. I think it depends on what you think you're going to get out of some of the guys lower on the depth chart, like Tyson Ford and Aiden Kiana Ina. Uh, I think you know, at the very top, the t- kind of top four guys at those two interior positions. I think you feel pretty good about Howard Cross and Jason Anye, right. Gabe Rubio and Riley Mills. It's just when you get, if you have an injury, are you feeling good about the people that, that would have to step up behind them? Uh, you know, they the Vipers are interesting. I think if you didn't have Brendan Vernon coming in, you might consider another big defensive end, but I thought Alex, you know, I thought Alex Ahrensberger might go portal surfing, um, just not having played a lot and kind of gone back in a reduced role. I mean, all those guys stuck around. So, um, and and Notre Dame doesn't have to necessarily add three. They can go into the season with less than 85. They could give Zach Yoakum a scholarship. There's some other deserving walk-ons that they could give scholarships to right i think they're in a good place i mean i i i made a i mean i'm not going to share this publicly but i made a kind of prediction of how many and who i thought would jump in the portal and it was about the same number that did uh but i was off on some people um you know there were some surprises for me and some people that ended up sticking around so um, you know, I think that what was interesting about this, Tyler, and it is how much it kind of affected the fan base because Notre Dame has had attrition in these numbers before, but they've never had all kind of concentrated in a short space, Buckner, Collie, Diggs, you know, styles that four guys that were pretty highly rated yep. and that were popular players. And I think that's really what, what was um, kind of corrosive to the fan base um, where it was kind of hard for them to take. I know I'll share the story. I posted <laughs> just a post about a walk-on who played last year and, um, 
you know, going in the portal and one of our subscribers was, didn't feel like I should have been sharing that news. So, and I think it was just the, there was a raw nerve there from all the other guys. I think that's kind of what led to that response. I hope it was. Yeah. Well, and I also think like sometimes like if we, if we say it, they think like we're saying that this is a terrible thing that's happening in our race program or like there's some sort of like opinion behind us sharing that news. It's like, no, we're just telling you that this is what's happening. We're not telling you that it's, it's terrible right. news or it's great news. I mean, we will tell you when we have opinions, but you didn't even state any sort of opinion when you shared it. You just said, this is what's happening. Right. Um, and, uh, Barrett uh, Liebentritt, I'm not sure if that's how you say his last name, uh, was the person who entered the the portal, and he interestingly enough had a do not contact tag on his on his portal entry, so maybe he has some idea of where he may end up. He's from Nebraska originally, so maybe he heads closer to home. Um, yeah, yeah, well, you you don't know. I mean, sometimes people they want to be closer to family. Right. He may have a scholarship offer. Somebody may be willing to give him a scholarship to play football. Yeah, well, when you were saying that they don't have to, they could give some scholarships out to walk-ons. Like, well, maybe they could bring him back, tell him to come on back with a with a scholarship. Yeah. But I don't know that that would be necessarily what they'd be interested in doing. But um, they do have the flexibility there. Um, and the and the walk-ons, it's usually like a, a, on a one-year basis. You're not necessarily guaranteed that he was just a ju- he was going to be a junior. Um, so someone in that class wouldn't necessarily be guaranteed to have a scholarship for the remainder of their athletic career at Notre Dame, but they sort of treat that as a, on a year to year basis. They'd like to keep them, those guys on scholarship, but um, that's obviously somewhere that they can have some wiggle room when, when it's necessary. Yeah. I mean the, the, the top end talent leaving, even if they weren't guys, we weren't all guys that were probably going to play a ton this year is, is a tough pill to swallow. I think it's more of what we're going to start seeing and have been seeing across the country. I don't know that, it's hit Notre Dame in sort of the same way previously to ha- to how it has now. And I think it's a confluence of, of events. There's the opportunities for playing time, the coaching staff turnover, um, and the appeal of trying to, trying to do something else and wanting to do something else. Um, I think all those guys, I think can still have productive careers somewhere um, and probably would have had productive careers at Notre Dame if they stayed or at least productive seasons um maybe not this season but in the future so it, it is tough but it's i think it's it's sort of the, the reality and, and notre dame has to figure that out i think that's why that's why the transfer situation for notre dame is so tough because when you're limited when your pool is limited to bringing in most likely grad transfers or some freshmen it's hard to get that number as high as the guys that are going to want to leave um, so you either have to oversign in your in your in your signing class and be comfortable that right. you've done the right right math um, that these guys are going to be um, leaving um, that enough guys are going to be leaving the program where you're not stuck with more than 85 come the fall. But uh, that's that's why they're hiring more people to to be in charge of these things and and oversee these things and and have a have a role and and having the pulse of what's going on on the roster and uh, who may be considering going elsewhere. Yeah, the the transfer thing is something that I wonder if Notre Dame is ever going to find a happier medium mm-hmm. for uh because we we're seeing it in other sports as well. Um it doesn't seem to be showing up as much with Braden or uh, Braden Shrewsbury, Micah Shrewsbury. Um he seems to be getting 
some guys that can help him, but they're going to be super young team. You know, he's, um, you know, kind of based on what they're getting. So far, they've brought in one transfer. We think that they're at least going to have two transfers um, because we think they're close on another one. They were able to um, convert all the three Penn State signees, but those guys weren't transfers technically. Right. But when you look at, I, I think, you know, again, because I follow women's basketball recruiting and they sign, um, were able to add somebody today in Becky Obinma from Pepperdine. Um, but there were higher profile centers than her that didn't fit in one of those two categories, the grad transfer or the freshman. And even some of the freshmen wouldn't be able to get, get through admissions having just played a year at another school and, and Notre Dame could have been really loaded uh, with, with good students. It's, it's not that these are bad academic matches because uh, the student has a poor GPA necessarily. It's because if you just finished your sophomore year, there's a concern that if you're going to get a Notre Dame degree, more of your credits are from a different school or as many and not enough Notre Dame credits that you deserve the Notre Dame degree. Kind of that's the academic side of the thinking. And maybe there's, again, a middle ground there where they can uh, uh, be comfortable with with somebody getting a Notre Dame degree that that uh, has as many or or more credits from somewhere else. Um, Brandon Joseph will be a guy like that if he gets his degree. Now, when I talked to him about it going into the season, he was leaning toward going back to Northwestern because it was faster to get the degree from Northwestern than it would have been with all the credits he lost coming to Notre Dame. So I, I think that's... Uh, big obstacle that Marcus faces, maybe even bigger than all the NIL shenanigans that are out there is if you lose more than you're counting on, you have a much smaller pool to pick from to be able to plug those holes with. And uh, so that's kind of how I come down on the transfer portal. It, it did, you know, when, when, when there was that run of guys and it wasn't just because we were busy, <laughs> it made me feel kind of weird. It felt kind of free agency. It kind of felt um, different than other transfers that happen. And, and maybe again, they're, they're all, I think in the same class, they're all um, guys that I had interviewed before and just felt like they fit here. Um, and so, um, you know, we had a, if you haven't listened to our podcast from this week, Adam Gorney was a great guest. He's our national director of recruiting, and he really has a great pulse, not only from kind of the 30,000 feet view, but from specifics to Notre Dame. And and uh, I thought he had some great insights on the transfer portal. Will it self-correct, you know, if there are enough cautionary tales? Will it self-correct a little bit after a couple of years, we're going to find that out. But uh, now that it's over, boy, was it weird. Yeah. Um, we have one portal question from Michael Mahoney. I don't know that we have necessarily an answer for it, but question is, are there any safeties currently in the portal that are good enough to help us? 
you know, I, I'm not sure. I have not looked at all the safeties yet. That's something I'm, I'm probably going to look at this week. The one thing about it, Michael, is that unlike with high school recruits where it's pretty easy to get information about who Notre Dame is interested in, who's visiting, there's a lot of secrecy with the portal stuff. And we talked about this a little bit on our podcast as well. If Notre Dame's interested in somebody, there can be other schools that didn't even know about this player, didn't have a lot of background that would just automatically offer them uh, so that they they want to keep the lid on that a little bit more. I think, again, what Notre Dame is looking for, I mean, ideally doesn't fit their admissions profile. That would be like a sophomore who's played at least one of those two years. It has multiple years left. I don't know that there's a fit there. So then you go to maybe a freshman who played a lot. You know, that may or may not be a fit. I don't think that they're looking for a rental. I think they may have to settle for one. Uh, But ideally, they would get an underclassman with multiple years left that can step right into that rotation with Xavier Watts and Ramon Henderson and DJ Brown and be able to give Notre Dame something this year. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, you got to find a guy that's talented enough and that can get into Notre Dame. So threading that. And that wants to come to Notre Dame. And and wants to, and doesn't have better, better uh, options from their point of view than Notre Dame. So yeah, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in their ability to add a safety but uh, I think they're looking into it. I just don't know. There hasn't been any names that have jumped out to us. I mean, when we talk about wide receiver, Caleb Brown was a name that we were keeping track of. We had heard that Notre Dame was doing some due diligence as it relates to Caleb Brown, who was a freshman at Ohio State last season, was from St. Rita High School in Chicago, obviously a school that Notre Dame is familiar with. And uh, just today he committed to Iowa after a visit to Iowa earlier this week. So um, things – that's the other part about what makes it complicated too, is that things move pretty fast in the portal. So if you don't have a sense for whether a kid fits at Notre Dame and all those, all the logistics that make sense that there's a match, you can sort of be left behind pretty quickly. Now there's nothing binding for Caleb Brown's verbal commitment to Iowa. It could turn into high school recruiting um, where guys decommit. That does happen in the portal. It doesn't happen nearly as often, I would say. Um, but they're, they're, people do change their minds in the portal when they learn of maybe some other options that come available to them. Um, so you have to move quickly and you have to know all those things. So it, it, it is a bit complicated um, and I think puts Notre Dame in a tough spot um, when there's sort of obvious holes at this point of the, the portal process. Okay, do we want to move on? Or are there any more questions you want to get to? Um, There's no more portal questions. We got some NFL draft questions. We can get to that when we talk about those guys. But um, all right, well let's let's clean up the rest of the portal stuff. So since we last talked to you, Lorenzo Style chose Ohio State. He's going to face the Irish in Notre Dame Stadium on September 23rd. But will he do so as a starter? I was on a an Ohio State podcast the other day. And they, you know, kind of their take on it was, boy, what great depth he's bringing to us. So I don't think they're expecting him to be a starter this year. And I think I'm. it's just kind of a curious. Now they're looking at him 
as a cornerback, not and that's where he wants to play now, not as a wide receiver. If it was a wide receiver, he'd have a a longer, tougher wait. I mean, there's no way he would be able to crack the top of their rotation there. So uh, what are your thoughts on Lorenzo Styles to Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, that was seemed pretty obvious from the start as long as Ohio State wanted him, that that's where he would end up. Um, I, yeah, I think it would be impossible to sort of imagine him being a starting cornerback for Ohio State um, <laughs> four months from now uh, when he's he's never practiced for them, um, hasn't played the position in years, um, despite having a couple practices in the spring here at Notre Dame. So that would be a tall task. Now, maybe, maybe that works. Maybe this was what Lorenzo Styles always should have been as, as a cornerback, but um, I think there's probably going to be a slower process to get him up to speed um, and get him used to the nuances of the position because it's one thing to just play it as a high schooler, um, but it's a lot more complicated at the college level. And, the, and if you mess up one small thing, you can really put the defense in a bind. So um, I'm interested to see what happens with him. I think uh, it's fascinating that Notre Dame plays Ohio State this season. Yeah. Although I don't know what sort of role Lorenzo would play in that game, but that that's the sort of added – um, intrigue to the transfer portal process and the way it works now. Um, just like Sam Hartman going up against Wake Forest, yeah. um, Lorenzo Styles to a much lo- lesser extent um, facing against his former teammates um, will be an interesting storyline. Right. I know that uh, um, Pete Sampson at the Athletics said something about, you know, it, I didn't think it was a slam on him that he would be a good kind of depth piece or he would have been a good depth piece had he stayed at Notre Dame and it seemed like the family didn't like that comment I you're not going to win wars on Twitter with anybody uh that's why I usually kind of stay try to stay out of that (laughs) that's where you get called a douchebag by people yeah yeah Tyler (laughs) did get called a douchebag by somebody's parent um So, uh, and, and Tyler just resigned to the fact that maybe he was, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, but I didn't call him that, but I, I, I think Lorenzo styles is a, a one athlete. I mean, I think he's got the athletic ability to play cornerback right now, but as you mentioned, there's been a gap in experience and had he stayed at Notre Dame, he wouldn't have been a starter. He wasn't, unless Cam Hart absolutely can't play if his shoulders are done, even then he has a lot of people to leap over to get into the starting lineup. And I just didn't think that was realistic. Now in 2024, maybe he does, you know, uh, if he sticks around, but we won't have to worry about that hypothetical. I do have a really good hypothetical when we start to talk about Tyler Buckner though. So since we last talked, Tyler Buckner chose Alabama, reuniting with Tommy Reese. Um, there were a couple of um, quarterbacks at the top of their depth chart that really didn't take charge. D- Jalen Milrow would be the guy that I think most people that cover Alabama think is going to be the um, starting quarterback in the fall, but not sure about that. What's Simpson's first name? Do you remember? Oh, Will, Will, is it Will Simpson or Ty Simpson? Ty Simpson. Ty Simpson. It's not Bart Simpson, but <laughs> he, uh, he is the freshman five-star freshman. And, and then you have Tyler Buckner. Um, Tyler so here, Ty. 
here here's the um here's the hypothetical I was posed with and I'll I'll see how you answer this. I thought this was a great question in in the live chat today. The guy said if Tommy Reese stays at Notre Dame and Sam Hartman wins the job, is Buckner still at Notre Dame? Um yeah, I think so. Yeah, I thought so too because I think overriding everything with Tyler Buckner is that trust and history with Tommy Reese. Mm-hmm. So if Tommy Reese was at San Diego State, I think Tyler Buckner is at San Diego State or thinking about it. Yeah. Because he could have gone a lot of places and either been guaranteed to start or have just a clear path. Right. He has a very muddy, crooked path to starting at Alabama. All he has is that history and, and faith from Reese. That's what he's banking on and his own ability. Right. So I yeah, that, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen with him this season if he'll end up being the starter, um, but I think he put himself in a spot where if it works out, I mean, if you're the starting quarterback at, at Alabama, it's hard to. I mean, we talk about like being how being the starting quarterback at Notre Dame is one of the, the most popular spots or uh, in college football, but and scrutinized. But Alabama is the same way. Um, They've done a pretty good job in recent years of um, producing NFL quarterbacks. Um, obviously, the staff changes over there pretty often, but um, you're going to play against the best of the best. And so Tyler Buckner will have that opportunity, and we'll see what he can make of it. Okay, so the next guy, this happened the same day that um, Buckner chose Alabama. Logan Diggs chose Portal. And Logan was, at the very least, running back 1B. Um, He was Notre Dame's second leading rusher last year, rushed for more than 800 yards. Um, And he goes into the portal. He still is looking around. Uh, We think that he would like to end up at LSU. We're not sure that LSU is going to take him, so we'll have to see. He does not have any clearer path to starting there than he did at Notre Dame. He was probably in a better situation, but Logan has been a guy that's had his eye on Louisiana since he signed his national letter of intent and before. I mean, he has been torn about being here. Uh, And I really felt like, Tyler, that this spring he was beyond it. He fooled me. I thought, you know what? He's been through two seasons now. He he was two-thirds of the way through spring. Mm -hmm. You know, he talked about the culture at Notre Dame, how – when he had those feelings, these people kind of picked him up. And then, you know, a week later, he's in the portal. So, yeah. And I, I reported on the Insider Lounge this morning, or I guess it was like late last night. It was somewhere in between uh, that Logan Diggs was on a visit to Ole Miss. Um, he arrived for a visit to Ole Miss yesterday. Um, so, that's a potential destination for him, it seems. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins is the, like was the star freshman running back at Ole Miss, so he would sort of be going into a similar situation, I think, in terms of splitting carries. But I don't know that. I mean, as a running back, it's not very realistic to expect to go somewhere and be like the number one guy and not split carries. So I don't know that that's something that is probably the biggest concern for Logan Diggs as he I, sorts through the portal process. I, I never thought it was why it pushed him to the portal. I, right. I, I feel like he 
he was too far away from Louisiana and, and he said school was hard for him. I mean, he said it was, um, how do you say it, it was stressful. <laughs> yeah. And, and he said that doesn't go away. So, um, he, you know, said that he finally was able to embrace that, but maybe not, not fully. Um, so Ole Miss makes sense. I mean, LSU, I think if they really were super interested, he'd already be out of the portal. Uh, I think that's a harder decision for them because they don't have a burning need for a running back. It's more, well, you know, does he fit here? Is he going to be here just a year? Right. You know, what, what happens? I mean, Brian Kelly obviously knows him. Uh, so. All right. Well, while we're talking about running backs, let me get squeeze in a couple of questions here sure. that are running back related. Um, this one was from LDL Go Irish on the Insider Lounge, so I typed it in there on on to a YouTube comment. Um, the question is: I hope it doesn't happen, but what if Audric Estime gets the fumble disease again? There is no digs to replace him. Well, I mean, you could say that about any running back. What if Diggs had gotten the fumble uh, thing, and it wasn't? I mean, it wasn't horrible. What was it too? I mean, that, uh, that's more than Notre Dame's used to having in a season. Right. Yeah, there was but a North Carolina game, and I want to say the UNLV game. It was a game they lost. I think it was the Stanford oh, game. Oh, the Stanford though. game. Yeah, yeah. And then I think yeah. he didn't play a lot in the UNLV game because of that. Right. So, you know, I, I really like the potential of the players behind Logan Diggs. Logan Diggs was a known quantity. You knew what you were going to get from him. Do I think he has a higher ceiling than price and love? No, but I think that we're not sure what those guys are going to look like with price, you know, just removed from a serious Achilles injury that kept him away for football for a year. Yeah. And what love's going to look like as a freshman, how much of an adjustment will there be for him? He's certainly fast enough to play. Um, and then you have Jabron Payne. Jabron kind of won me over. He has an injury history too, though. Um, that's the reason he wasn't more highly ranked coming out of Cincinnati LaSalle is because he had an injury history. But he's a track guy. He's got speed. We saw that. He's a little bit more physical than I expected of him this um, spring. So I think there's some alternatives there. But I think you stick with Audric Estime. I think he's going to get things right. Yeah, that that's a spot. Honestly, I know you said earlier that you weren't intrigued by the possibility of a running back from the portal, but if you can bring in a grad transfer at running back that has experience, um, just because of the injury history with with Jadarian Price and Jabron Payne, I think that I think it'd make it a little bit easier to sleep at night. <laughs> um, I don't know that it's it's not so. I, I, like, who is that guy? This isn't a guy that you're going to promise a ton of carries to, probably. But if they're good enough to play, and you would think that that wouldn't like rock the boat of the running back room because you're replacing someone that was already there to begin with. Everyone that's in that position was expecting Logan Diggs to be on the team, so it's not like you're recruiting over them with a with a portal addition when you're replacing someone who left um, like that. So I would I would at least look into that as an option, um, just because the the way I mean. It sounds like Price will be good to go, um, and Payne certainly was fine this spring, but he had such a sort of long and uh, checkered history in high school with injuries that it's like, man, I, what 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 happens if those guys get injured and then you're basically Audric Estime and Jeremiah Love and a bunch of walk-ons after that? 
Well, the I think with every position, you have to have the conversations, especially mm-hmm. when you have three scholarships to give. Right. You have to go, kind of go through each and say, okay, are we just wasting a scholarship here? Or is this a good idea? Who's out there? And and does this change our mind? And and maybe if you can get somebody that's just incredible, that's Otter Gestamay's peer, then yeah, maybe you go get him. I think the thing that you can feel good about if you don't make that decision is you do have the safety net of Chris Tyree. Mm-hmm. You also, I mean, I was speculating about this. Somebody, well, it's actually Marie from Atlanta asked this great question, of course. But <laughs> who who else could be, let's say it's not Chris Tyree. I mean, there are a couple of other options. If you really got into sticky emergency Micah Bell was a pretty productive running back. Now he's tiny by college standards, but um, go live with um, Matt in B- Matt Bayless's weight room this summer. Um, and then I think if you're really in a pinch, you could use Drake Bowen for a few carries <laughs> here and there, just because he didn't. He's used to that. He did that his whole high school career. I mean, six foot two, two thirty, and and the kid can run. So. Um, you know, there's some emergency options, but I'm not averse to, uh, but I don't know that it's necessary. I'd, I'd have to see who that running back was certainly, hopefully better than the kid from Stanford that didn't even play. What was that guy's name? Do you remember him? Uh, Travis Spates, I believe it was Travis Spates. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, his ND career ended before it started. Um, and this is related to the running game, but it's but it's not portal based. But I figured I could. This is probably a decent spot to get it in here. Um, another one from LDL Go Irish. Without Tyler Buckner, there needs to be another way to stretch the defense horizontally. I do not recall seeing successful plays attacking the perimeter in the blue gold game. Not that that game is a strong indicator. I can easily see Sam Hartman attacking a defense vertically. But other than Tyree, what are Andy's options to stretch the width of the field? Okay, so. The length of the field? No, the, the width, width of the field. Wheeled. You mean right to left? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm just I haven't right. heard of that being a concern before, but I think maybe he means um, deep balls, right? No, no. I think he means like being able to like create more space by being a threat on the uh, on the outside. That's that's my um, okay. You create more space for the running game in the interior if you can also. Cr- can, can create space running okay. the ball outside. Um, so like he's saying, the one thing that they do have are like jet sweeps with Chris Tyree that can get the ball on the edge um, to, to run the football. Um, and give okay, yourself... you answer the question because I don't understand it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I do think that Notre Dame's running game will try to do some more outside zone and do some stretch plays to, okay. to, to get now that. I, um, I thought he was talking about when he said Sam Hartman – that's where I got confused. Okay. No, he, he's saying that he's not worried about them stretching the field vertically. He's worried about them now stretching it horizontally. That's what that's what he's saying. He said we're going to. How about diagonally? <laughs> well, I think vertically is the best. A straight line is the best, personally, um, and you could do that in the running game as well. Um, okay. But uh, I, yeah, I think I think they're going to do different things with that. I think um, Jaden Greathouse is probably another guy that you could use to um, do do that with the running game. I think. Uh, Jabron Payne just throw it quick out to him. Yeah, yeah, blockers. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you can do that um, with Jabron Payne and Janarian Price is a really good pass catcher 
as a running back, which might not be top of mind for folks, but if he's healthy, um, I think he can do a good job of that. Audric Estime is growing confidence. Jeremiah Love, you could do that too. Yeah, Jeremiah how Love. How versatile he was in high school. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so th- there's a lot of, I think they have options in the running game with that that aren't named Logan Diggs. Uh, I mean, maybe like maybe what comes to mind is that long pass or long the wheel route. Yeah, the wheel route to Logan Diggs. Um, the, especially the one against uh, South Carolina, which is just, just a quick like swing pass, and um, and he just ran the rest of the way. I think that was mostly bad defense, honestly, from South Carolina. But um, that is another way that you could stretch the field um, horizontally to to take advantage of some things that the defenses are doing. The last thing we'll mention on the portal. I mean, there's a few guys that haven't found homes besides Logan Diggs, Prince Collie's still not out of the portal. There's a few from earlier. Alex Peitch, the long snapper, hasn't exited. Um, Caleb Johnson's one of the guys that hasn't exited. So there's a few of them, and they'll be finding homes, I would imagine, this month so they could get enrolled uh, in summer school and off and ready to go. All right. A warm welcome to the Hart Foundation joining us, who's uh, a regular of ours. We appreciate you being here. Um, let's do... Um, let's actually, we're going to talk about the NFL draft next. So let me start it with an NFL draft question from Joshua Williams, um, who thankfully says that he's a fan, uh, from when we started the pot of gold podcast. Um, we are now the inside Indy sports podcast, but we appreciate our OGs from the pot of gold days. Um, didn't follow the NFL draft. Like I usually do. Joshua says, do either of you have inside scoop on why mayor dropped to the second round possible ND bias? I don't think there would be an ND bias against a Notre Dame tight end. I actually right. think it would work the other way, that they would get credit there. I just don't think there were a lot of teams that prioritized the tight end as a first-round position. Sometimes it's not um, considered that. Obviously, Buffalo like Kincaid better. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many tight ends in this draft, too. I think a lot of teams felt like, they could wait to the second or third round and still get really good quality without having to burn a first round pick. So I think there were a record nine in the first three rounds, or at least that was the most in decades. I actually wrote about it and can't remember what I wrote, (laughs) Um, but I know total tight ends. I think it was 14 that were drafted and I do know that was a record. So, so much depth, I think hurt, Michael Mayer more than anything else. I happened to be covering the draft that night and um, was able to be on the Raider. The Raiders were great. Um, I was able to be on their Zooms and their head coach and their GM were both thrilled to get Meyer. They traded up a few picks to get him. Couldn't believe he was still there. Um, so I think he landed in a really good spot, even though there are some differences in guaranteed money. If you're a end of the first round versus the beginning of the second round. Uh, but I, I think that's it. I mean, some people talk about the four, seven you know, Tyler Eifert and Kyle Rudolph were in the same area, if not a little bit slower. Um, and they ended up being really good tight ends. So you know, I, I think, uh, you know, and, and Laporta went to the Lions just before uh, Michael Mayer. But again, I think the depth more than anything hurt him. 
Yeah, the, the Laporta thing's the bigger head scratcher to me. It's like really, yeah. gonna, I, I I don't totally get that. I I understand. Well, they have Brock Wright on their team. They didn't have. To. <laughs> I didn't. I I didn't under. I do understand. Like the Dalton Kincaid, he's a different tight end, so he's not exactly the yeah. same thing that you're getting with Michael Mayer. So if you wanted someone that's more of a passing threat consistently, um, maybe stretch the field a little bit more than Michael Mayer could. Um, but then you're going to sacrifice some run game stuff, which the Buffalo Bills certainly are not uh, very good consistently at running the football. Um, maybe they're just not that concerned about that. So I, I think that um, it was surprising to me. I still think I would have taken Michael Mayer as the first tight end, um, but uh, I don't know that there was there was any sort of ND bias or something scandalous that pushed him into the second round. I think his um, – I do. I do think the forty the the combine stuff probably didn't help, but I don't know that it was very surprising. It, it wasn't surprising either. I think yeah. people knew what Michael Mayer was, but I think it's it always is. It helps you to say, oh yeah, he, he can actually do those things that we maybe have a little bit of concern about too. So um, he just didn't give himself maybe that last push um, in this sort of draft cycle process that that maybe he could have used. I could see if he had crappy film, right. you know. I mean, but his film was phenomenal i mean he looked like such a good athlete on film and again what did notre dame have to throw to besides him last year there weren't a lot of options and so people knew he was going to get the ball i don't know i i would be thrilled if i was able to draft michael Mayer. my mom is is not a big football fan and she can decipher that michael Mayer is elite (laughs) so she was telling me that that was her favorite player on Notre Dame. All right, what did what did you think of the rest of the how the draft played out for Notre Dame with Isaiah Foskey also being a second round pick, Jarrett Patterson being a sixth round pick to the Texans, um, and that being all there was for Notre Dame. And so you look at those um, classes for, or you look at this draft class and last draft class, um, you don't have a lot of draft picks from coming out of Notre Dame with five in the past two cycles. Do you think that is a trend that's going to continue for Notre Dame? Is that what does that say about where Notre Dame has been as a program? Well, I think there's there's a couple of things when you look at overall talent in a program. I do think draft picks is one of the measures, and sometimes you'll have a one year or a two year dip, and then there. I mean, the class that was before they this five and two years was one of the larger classes since the Holtz era and maybe the largest class since the Holtz era. But I think, you know, one of the things that you like about this roster is the depth of talent. There may not be stacked with NFL draft picks, but the guys that are third team could play a lot of other places or they could help you win football games. Whereas, you know, several years ago with Notre Dame, maybe when they had more draft picks, they, they were really in a, bad spot if they had a key injury at a certain position. Well, let's say even 2018 when uh, Julian Love got hurt in the Cotton Bowl. I mean, Notre Dame went in the toilet pretty fast with one All-American cornerback going to a less experienced cornerback. Um, But I do think it's something that you pay attention to. And I think it's, it's disappointing. And you start to say, where did maybe people not get developed and I'm going to be kind of harsh here and say the defensive line, there's no way Jason Adamalola 
should have been a guy that didn't get drafted, I don't think. I just thought he came in with a lot of talent, and he was on an upward trajectory, and then he just kind of stopped this season. Now, maybe he was not completely healthy. Maybe some of it was on him, but I think he was a player that I thought would get drafted as he was a young player. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't know about Tariq Bracey because of his size and so forth, but I thought he was one of Notre Dame's better players. I mean, once we got to the draft, I knew they weren't getting drafted. Dane Brugler is perfect when it comes to projecting that stuff. And (laughs) he had it almost down to the round with all three of Notre Dame's guys. Brandon Joseph, I mean, he was he was an All-American at Northwestern, and then he was a lousy player kind of his junior year. And then I think he was decent with Notre Dame, but he missed a third of the season. He was injured at the end of the season. He didn't test great. So what was the appeal to drafting Brandon Joseph? And again, that wasn't somebody that Notre Dame necessarily developed. I mean, that was a one-year rental on Brandon Joseph, but... You think about the guys that that didn't get drafted, and you wonder again: it was the player development at those positions uh, strong enough? And then, as we kind of spin into twenty twenty four and beyond, do we see obvious draft picks? Well, some guys don't turn into draft picks until their last year in the program, like Adi Ogundeji. I mean, if you had told me he was getting drafted when he walked in the door. I would have lost a lot of money on that. Um, <laughs> so, and even even guys that were high, more highly touted, I mean, Julian O'Quara really didn't look like a draft pick until the end of his career. Um, and there were some offensive linemen that have been like that, that, you know, just blossomed. Nick Martin, I would have never guessed early in his career. Then they move him to center and he, he's golden. So... Uh, but looking at the group that's next year, I mean, obviously the two guys you gravitate to are the tackles, Blake Fisher and Joe Alt. Joe Alt is already a first-round draft pick. Blake Fisher could turn into one. Um, Sam Hartman's going to get drafted, not probably as high as a lot of other quarterbacks that are six foot four and or run a four two forty or whatever. But um, Sam Hartman's going to play in the NFL. Um, you know, Cam Hart, if he's healthy, he's going to get drafted. He's I mean, what, I mean what if, what if Audrey Gestime has another great season, right? Right. Audrey Gestime, I think will get drafted and I think it will be next year. I think this will probably be Audrey's last year. I think a lot of running backs feel like, you know, three years in college is enough tread on the tire and then they mm-hmm. want to get, go to the NFL. I think that's why Notre Dame is so comfortable recruiting so many guys younger guys because <laughs> yeah. they're only going to have them for three years. Yeah. I think Estime is definitely a guy I would keep my eye on. Um, I don't think the tight ends are old enough to, to be, you know, Mitchell Evans as a junior isn't where some of the other juniors were, but I think right. he's a guy eventually that could be drafted. Um, I think Eli Reardon way down the road. Um, and then you go to defensive line. I mean, Riley Mills is the guy you probably think has a chance, but he's got to play himself into that this year. Javante Jean-Baptiste, boy, he better look a lot better than he did in spring practice if he's going to get there. 
Jordan Botello, I think he probably needs to come back a year and, and have a fifth year at Notre Dame, have that COVID year and see what he can turn into. The line, you know, the guys that you think about twitchy linebackers are the younger guys. I mean, Jack Kaiser's a possibility. Pete gets a chance to play inside this year, and he's as good as I think maybe he can be. I think he could be drafted. I did find it hilarious that he was he was in a mock draft as a first rounder next year. That's not that's not reality. Did you report that person to the IRS, or <laughs> what is the process of who yeah. do we report that that person to? That was that's yeah. that's even worse. Like they were. There Corey for the Robinson. longest time. Corey Robinson. That Corey Robinson was terrible. That person now works for ESPN. Um, uh, Tommy Kramer was always always mocked into the first round. I think it was the Sporting News that had a had an obsession with Tommy Kramer. Uh, as, and sometimes I think they just people rely, they're they're lazy and they would go back and look at star rankings. Now, obviously, that wouldn't be uh, necessarily with Jack Kaiser, but um, yeah, that's Jack Kaiser, the first round pick. That's something. And. Uh... Then you look at the safeties. I think of those safeties, Xavier Watts has the kind of traits. He's going to have to be a better cover guy, but man in the box, he's really good, and and he's ascending. So, again, there's a lot of guys that could play themselves into into a draft pick. But You see this comment, Eric, from the Heart no. Foundation. Report them to Mama Hanson. She seems to know better. <laughs> <laughs> well, she'll probably feel sorry for him and cook him pasta. <laughs> <laughs> so but but anytime you have the dip the dip in draft choices it was funny because i was doing a um i'm doing a story soon here on on transfer history notre dame's transfer history and so forth and i was trying to find a, a transfer that played in the nfl between you know Aaron Lynch and whenever the next most recent person was, I came across an article where I quoted Tom Lemming and it was after Alan Rossum was the only player drafted and he was hysterical. He was like, I told you this was going to happen. And uh, so he, uh, but, but there at that time there was, you know, Notre Dame had raised its bar academically um, and there were some other problems with recruiting who the recruiting coordinator was. And, uh, then Notre Dame got somewhat back in track, but I mean, it was kind of the start of the dark ages for Notre Dame with Bob Davey and then Tyrone Willingham. And then part of the Charlie Weiss era until they got to Brian Kelly, they weren't doing well in the drafts and they weren't consistently doing well on the field. So there's, there's something to be said for that, but it's not the total picture. I still think depth of talent is very important. I think Notre Dame's in a better place there. But yeah, player development and recruiting, uh, they need to um, you know, produce draft picks or kids aren't going to want to come. Um, speaking of draft picks, two guys that maybe could work their way into draft picks in the future, um, MGo Irish asks, who do you believe breaks out more this season, Deion Colsey or Tobias Merriweather? I, I my bet is on Tobias Merriweather. I think Colsey made incredible strides. But if you ask Colsey who the who the guy he <laughs> least liked to cover in that receiving core, if he were a defensive back, 
he would say Tobias Merriweather. Everybody says Tobias Merriweather. But Colsey was raving about him. You would have thought it was his agent. Um, <laughs> he is he is something. But again, he doesn't have the production history yet. Uh, Tyler did a really good story. In fact, Tobias's dad said it was the best Tobias story in a long, long time on Twitter. <laughs> so, but I mean, it kind of talked about why it didn't happen for him last year. The concussion scare. There was a lot of great elements to that. But the kid can absolutely fly. He won the Washington State 200-meter dash with a bad hammy. Uh, hmm. That's the kind of speed he has. And it translates to the field for him. And now he's out on that field receiver with nobody ahead of him on the depth chart. And he's got a great opportunity. So I, I hope it happens for him. Colsey's kind of the fourth receiver. Had they not had a solution at slot receiver – and Jaden Thomas had to kind of stay there, Dion would be starting, but they've kind of found some solutions there. Jaden can kind of move out to the boundary, which is his more natural position, and Dion Colsey will rotate in there, but he had a really good spring. Yeah, I th- I, it's hard to bet against Tobias Merriweather out of those two. I, I like what Dion Colsey was doing at the end of last season and his trajectory. Hopefully he continue, can continue that. Um, I think given Sam Hartman, guys with size – can certainly help him. He's it, Sam Hartman will put it up even in tight coverage and give those guys chances to make plays. And if Colsey can prove to be someone that can do that, then I can see him having a, a significant uh, role this season. But Tobias Merriweather just sort of being that weapon that he can be, I think is the thing that a lot of his teammates are looking forward to. And I think most people who cover Notre Dame expect, and then obviously the fan bases would be thrilled to see a breakout year for Tobias Merriweather. The really interesting thing about Colsey is how much he grew up. I, I remember interviewing him. C- Carter Carls did a great story on him when he was a recruit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his connection to his mom, his connection to Georgia. And and it was really hard for him to leave Georgia and come up to Notre Dame. And I remember talking to him earlier in his career. And you could still see that angst about you know, and then talk to him this spring. And I'm like, who kidnapped uh, Dion and put this kid in the chair? Because <laughs> this guy is using it all as a strength now. I mean, he had, he loves Georgie, loves his mom. And yet somehow those memories now kind of drive him to be better instead of kind of looking backwards. And it made a world of difference in his game. So, I mean, he's a guy that was, I guess he's the guy that fooled me into Logan Diggs was going to stay because, you know, they kind of had the same profile about wanting to go back home. Well, Dion got past it, and uh, I think is a lot better for it. All right, uh, let's hit some more questions. Uh, we were going to talk some more recruiting, but we're we're we're, we're hitting the hour mark already. Um, so let's take some recruiting questions here. Um, this one's from MGo Irish. On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you that ND? And he seals the deal with Justin Scott. You want me to? You probably want me to first serve I'll, I'll on that one, right? For, I'll go first. Okay. I'll go first. I'll say five. And okay. the reason why I say five is I think Notre Dame still leads. I think that Justin will is going through now maybe what some players went through deeper into their recruitment. I think it's better that he's 
doing these things as a non-committed recruit than mm -hmm. having that commitment and then kind of flaunting that he's going to these other places and visiting. I, I think, you know, he's going to wrestle with NIL money. He's going to wrestle with uh, Georgia's reputation for putting defensive linemen into first-round draft picks. Mm -hmm. um, he's going to consider all those things. And I think the thing that is going to um, maybe drive him to Notre Dame is still going to be wanting to be close to home and, and uh, the education piece. I think those, and, and his belief that Notre Dame can get him to the NFL. Right. I don't think it helped that. I think it helps that Foskey was a second round pick. I don't think it helped that the Adam Malolas didn't get drafted. Um, so I think this is a big year for Al Washington to kind of show what he can do in terms of development. Now, I will say this in Al Washington's defense, the defensive line had a good spring. Not a good enough spring to stay where they're at. Right. But boy, they made progress. So there, there was he showed something. So that's my explanation. Yeah, I would probably put it at a six. Um, probably a month ago, I probably would have been maybe a seven. I think Georgia was always going to be a worry and until he makes that visit um, and gets through that and Notre Dame can sort of counter from there, I was always going to be a little bit hesitant. Um, but Miami seems to have done a good job of getting sort of a, a seat at the table there as well. So I think the competition has only increased. Um, so Notre Dame's going to have to keep fighting pretty heavily here, try to get him back on campus as frequently as possible. I, I know – um, there's discussion of whether or not he will take an official visit to Notre Dame because sometimes you don't necessarily need to take an official visit when you're from Chicago. You can just drive over and not worry about using one of your five official visits. Um, Although the, that there's going to be a the cap comes off, I think, in the fall, right? I believe so. I think yeah. that counts for yeah. these guys that are senior yeah. that are going to be seniors. I don't think um, they can take a sixth visit in the summer. But right? I think they can't. They can right? Take the sixth and, in the fall. And I don't know. Some guys want to be done before the summer ends, right. and then. Um, I think it, I don't really know. I mean, at this point, I, I, it might be a case where the longer it drags out, the better it is for Notre Dame because it feels like that Notre Dame's always going to be the school that can sort of get him back to campus again. You know what I mean? Because it's right. so close. Um, so that would be sort of the rare <laughs> except exception. when the weather's bad. <laughs> that would be the sort of the rare exception. <laughs> usually, usually you don't want recruitments to to drag out if you're in Notre Dame, but I think guys that are more local and part of the problem is is that Notre Dame usually isn't the local school um, when it comes to those long drag out recruitments and so that can be tough but um, I, I'll, I'll put it at a six but yeah probably trending closer towards a five than than towards a seven at this point but we'll see how things develop there for him um, another question is about CJ Carr uh, Joshua Williams said I went to all but two of CJ Carr's games his junior year he reminds me more of a Manning, as far as how he seems to love the game and isn't arrogant, what do you guys like most about him? I like that you went to all but two of his games. We want you as our new correspondent, Joshua. Um, <laughs> what do I like most about his game? <laughs> There's not a lot not to like. Let me start with him as a person. I, I've only interviewed him once, but I spent you know a good a good amount of time on the phone with him. He's a pretty darn mature kid with his head screwed on straight. Um, and he 
understands how important he is as already being a face, a face of the program in recruiting. That guy gets up at 5.30 in the morning to get in his car and drive down to Notre Dame whenever they have a key recruiting weekend and make sure that he's talking to the recruits. And, and just the stuff that he went through, his brother who passed away, and how much his life perspective, and he keeps the right things in perspective. So I think it starts there. Then let's go to his football stuff. For one thing, he's beefed up in a good way. Um, Tom Lemming had him over to the Golden Dome before the, uh, with some other recruits before the Blue Gold game, and and CJ came from behind Tom and gave him kind of a bear hug. He's like, "Who's this college kid?" And he goes, "Tom, it's me, CJ." He didn't even recognize him with the shorter hair and the 210 pounds instead of the 190. So he's a solidly built kid. Um, and he can make the throws. He makes really good decisions. Um, he's, I mean, when you think about the guys that have come to Notre Dame, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Sam Hartman. I'll compare him to the high school recruits. I'm not sure that there's a recruit since, you know, Jimmy Clausen and Brady Quinn that I've thought this highly of. Um, and, and really, Jimmy Clausen was immature. Brady Quinn was pretty impressive in terms of now Jimmy's grown up. I don't mean to say that Jimmy's still like that, but Jimmy was immature when he showed mm-hmm. up at Notre Dame. There's no question about that. And he didn't have his head screwed on straight. So, uh, but I'm going to stop rambling because I really like him. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like, he makes a lot of the throws you want to see um, the confidence he plays with. I think the way he carries himself, um, the way he seems that players and recruits gravitate to him. Um, I think is good. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to like there about him. The Hart Foundation asked about him potentially early, enrolling early. I would imagine that's the case. I haven't double checked that. I'm but ninety percent sure, ninety eight percent sure that's happening. Yeah, I mean there was conversations about him enrolling a whole year early. So right, the, that's the, not happening. So him him enrolling early um, next January, I think I think is is pretty likely. I just haven't I haven't double checked on that anytime lately um so yeah i mean there's lots of like there um and i'm pretty sure when i talked to him we talked about that okay yeah um we keep we're we're getting uh littered with questions here at the end so let me let's hit one more question um from joe mikelski on paper this should be the best nd offense since at least 2015 is the ad of hartman somehow being underrated relatively speaking by the national media and other fan bases I don't think so. I think the hesitancy is maybe the pieces around him. I mean, there's not a Michael Mayer. You're going from Michael Mayer to kind of a group of five tight ends that are kind of making that up. Um, they know that Notre Dame's offensive line wasn't a Joe Moore award winner. Even though they had have two great tackles, are they going to be good in the interior? Because they weren't good in the interior in their marquee game against Ohio State. Um, so, and then I think Jared Parker being the fairly unfairly being the offensive coordinator is, I think, where there's a lot of hesitancy. Had Notre Dame gone out and hired somebody like Ludwig, um, Andy Ludwig, then I think people would have been more charged up about it. That doesn't mean Jared Parker's not going to do as good or better job, but he's an unknown. 
until he gets into that Ohio State game, we see him against Ohio State's defense. We don't know if how he's going to perform in big games like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the OC thing probably played a role in terms of the national perspe- per- perception. Um, the sort of ongoing quarterback competition, you can't like sort of do these glowing stories about Sam Hartman when they're in the midst of, uh, of a quarterback competition. And certainly Notre Dame wasn't going to be uh, opening its doors to say, yeah, write these big stories about Sam Hartman being the next big thing at Notre Dame. Um, I, I think ESPN, I want to say Adam Rittenberg came to Notre Dame and did a story about, it ended up being about sort of this quarterback competition and, and when Marcus Freeman would be ready to make or name a starter. Um, and uh, obviously <laughs> uh, he doesn't have to name him anymore because Tyler Buckner said he would do that for him uh, by leaving. So. Well, I think the blue gold game kind of named it too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, the, the other fan base is saying, I mean, that's going to always be connected to sort of the per- perception of Notre Dame has fallen short in some big games in recent years um, and didn't really have other than the Clemson game those marquee wins and opportunities that it had against USC and Ohio state. Um, so, and they get to play those guys again uh, this year. So we'll see what, what happens. Um, I think Notre Dame maybe has a better chance against both of those teams this year, I would say. Um, so we'll, we'll uh, um, it's going to be an interesting year. It won't be, there will be plenty of things said about Notre Dame this season because of the games on its schedule. Uh, it's going to be slow at the start of the year. There's not a lot of headlines that, that people aren't going to be paying very close attention to Notre Dame at the beginning of the year because there aren't, aren't big time games to start the season. Um, but certainly they get the stage in, in Dublin and certainly that'll maybe start some conversation and Sam Hartman has a big game there. Then um, folks will start talking about what, what he could look like the rest of the season. All right, Eric, I think we should wrap it up there. We didn't talk much recruiting, but we have plenty of recruiting coverage uh, on InsideNDSports.com on the Insider Lounge. We've been tracking that with whether it was Notre Dame's hot streak of commitments. I think they had six in a 12-day span in the 2024 and 2025 classes. Um, We've been tracking this week where Notre Dame's coaching staff has been on the recruiting trail as they look at 2024 guys that they may be expanding their board for um, and then sort of evaluating some more 2025 and even 2026 guys. We reported two 2026 quarterbacks becoming the first two in that that class to receive Notre Dame offers at that position. So um, if you want more recruiting coverage, head to InsideIndieSports.com. We have as much as you could possibly want, um, and uh, we'll start focusing in on who's going to get on campus for June official visits, and that's that'll sort of be the next big stage in the recruiting process for Notre Dame. But that is all for us this week. We will – Likely be back next week. I know we were going to have an Inside Indie Sports podcast next week with a guest that I think um, you guys will enjoy and is much more famous than us. Um, so please. Uh, and we mentioned him once tonight. <laughs> yeah. Think of all the names we've mentioned and see if you can figure out which one it is. Um, but uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in, whether it was live or um, on the replay. And uh, as Eric mentioned at the top, make sure you subscribe to us, turn on your notifications so you can be alerted of future live shows, and have a good night.